welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Please sit down. How are you all doing? Wonderful. You know, Kath is such a great storyteller. I almost believed that I was in the wrong. No. Look at the hamburger. Isn't that great? (laughs) Very good. Very unhealthy. Very American. Bless God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on. Anybody else have you having a photograph? <laughs> if you're visiting for the first time, please come back next week. <laughs> this is a weird church, <clears throat> but we love it. Anyway, I, I sat there thinking, these people are probably going to believe, Kath, that I actually made her late for the plane. <laughs> but it was all a very elaborate plan to show you just how brilliant Steph is. That's what it was about. But I'm sorry about that, but clearly, to sin is human, to forgive is divine. <clears throat> so maybe in a couple of years' time, Kath will forgive me. But publicly... I'm sorry about that. <laughs> All right, well, where do we go from here? Well, only up, I think. And um, so, won't you turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1? Seth Health Pete, it's in the back of the Bible there, the back of his, of his telephone. <clears throat> Just love the worship, love being in this church. It's like a tonic, it's like a vitamin B in the bum, on the arm. Um, <laughs> It's just great, the, the, the real authentic excitement and passion, just love that. And I love the way you even use old footy stars as guitarists and make them look good in their old age. <coughs> Where is he? Anyway, he's gone to bed already, that was too much for him. Yeah. He's going to get his vitamin B shot in the bum, I think that's where he's gone. That's great, it's been lovely to be here. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, you got it? Yeah. This is the message we have heard from him. Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's get Pentecostal in the place and say hallelujah. Come on. If we say we have no sin, we're an idiot. Well, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. Say that. Propitiation. If you're stuck for conversation at a party, say, are you familiar with the term propitiation? (laughs) He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also 
for the sins of the whole world. I want to speak this evening about Jesus, our advocate. It's one of the most crucial subjects we can, we can even discuss, we could discuss. And I don't know anything more impacting than the revelation that can come from these scriptures. There's so much confusion about whether Christians can sin. There's a heresy called sinless perfectionism. It goes like this. So you come to Christ, he forgives you of your sin, and you never sin again. Well, you know, most married women will just shake their heads and say, well, my husband can't be saved then. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much confusion. People saying, you don't have to confess your sin. It's all done. There's, you don't have to repent. Or there's cheap and easy grace. You can just sleep around with your girlfriend because God is kind. Or, or someone's going to give you a law to conquer sin. You become a legalist. You, you take cold showers. You wear tight undies. And you pray and hope for the best. But I want the Holy Spirit to help us tonight because most of us live in the real world. We do not live in a parallel universe of perfection. No one of us does. And all of us, whether you're a leader I was saying the other night that I think we should have a t-shirt that says, leaders are also sinners. And we need to be the first to admit to you that we are sinners. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christ follower, we're glad you came. We were expecting you. We, re we really were. We bought extra, extra donuts and muffins. It's good that you're here. You need to know, if you are not a Christ follower, that this room is full of one kind of person. It's just called sinner. The old ones have been doing it for a long time. They're experts. They've been practicing. But the difference between us, perhaps, and you is that our sins have been dealt with by Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible teaches He shed His blood for us to wash away our sin. The great old hymn says, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And tonight, my prayer is, those of you who don't know Christ, that tonight you will become born again. You must be born again. You must be converted. You must come and deal with your sin as only you can through Jesus Christ. And so this passage has the capacity to liberate us from guilt and shame. This paragraph or these verses have the power to liberate us from besetting sins. Besetting sins are the sins you keep doing. You're beset by them. And these passages are going to help us deal with the devil's accusation. How many of you have the devil talk to you? I think the devil loves me. I have to keep saying, oh, devil, shut up. Go and talk to someone who's believing for you. I've got a list of people you can go and visit. Don't hassle me. Don't tell me, has God really said this? Did God really do that? Are you really saved? Is God really going to come through? Are you going to survive? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Blah, 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 yada, 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 yada. He goes on and on and on. And these kinds of passages have the ability to shut down the devil, turn down the background noise. And also, some of us are at the mercy of uneducated consciences. Sometimes you're your own worst enemy. Sometimes you're worse than the devil. Sometimes the devil has a weekend off because you do what is work for him, beating yourself up, wanting to feel really, really sorry because you know if you're really sorry, then God will forgive you. And that's all contrary to what God wants for you. And I'll explain it in a couple of minutes. But let's start in an unexpected place, shall we? Let's start with the Apostle Peter, the old bullet who's preaching here, writing here. Remember, he's 90 years old when he writes the letter, and he's got no time to play. And that's why old guys, you know, the older you get, hey, Keith, you don't care what you wear to the mall. You know what I mean? You're going to mismatch. You're going to wear purple. Do you have Crocs? 
Crocs are those funny old things that should be burnt, at, you know, in the morning and never put on. Like you got like purple Crocs and bright red um, track pants and I mean, you got spotted shirt and a striped hat and you just don't care anymore because you, you've done enough worrying for everybody in the last 60 years. So you don't waste time. You don't, you know, Peter's not going to write, well, how to have a good hair day, get a good hairstylist and some decent product. Huh? You know, well, you know, if you're feeling a little sad, put a little lavender in your bath water. You know, this, he doesn't write rubbish like that. He writes something that's powerful. He writes something that's going to help. And he's lived for 90 years, not as an angel. None of us are angels. Well, not of the heavenly kind anyway. And old folk, you know, I, ever get, I get some guys now and again that say, let's go to old age homes, let's go preach the gospel. It's the hardest place to preach the gospel. They've been practicing their rebellion against God for a hundred years. And you think just because they're cramming for finals, just because they're in God's waiting room, <laughs> that they're going to be excited. They're in injury time. The bell isn't, the siren isn't gone yet. You think they're going to be vulnerable. Not on your life. They'll even play like they've lost their mind to get rid of you. You see, not only is time not on his side, but he knows the ravages of heretics, false doctrine, half-cocked doctrine, half-boiled stuff and ideas and fridge magnets and bumper sticker theology that's this deep and this wide. He knows the damaging effects that that has on a Christian. And so he wants to make sure that this church is protected by truth. Now, let's see what he's not saying. He's not saying, I'm excusing sin. He's not saying, oh, it's not important, don't worry about it. He's not saying, oh, you're just a victim. Your mother left you in your wet nappy, a diaper, whatever you call it, for so long, now you're an axe murderer. It's not your fault, Mr. Freud, he said. This is just how you are. I'm just like this. I'm just like this. One lady said, I just love to give people a piece of my mind. I said, well, clearly you've given it all away because there's not much left. <laughs> I'm just a victim. If I had the right husband, lady, you're never going to have the right husband. You don't deserve him. You're a horrible thing, you. If I had the right pastor, well, you have him. It's not saying that sin doesn't matter and you can just ignore it. Grace doesn't mean you can live sloppily. I had a friend in his church when, when this... Narrow grace teaching broke out across the world. It's narrow because it's only about entrance. We've got volunteer evening coming up here. And um, you're going to be there right in the third row? Yes? <laughs> yeah, I saw you there earlier. Took your name down, your number plate, everything, your blood group. We'll see you there. <laughs> you, you can't raise the dead to volunteer because grace says I don't have to do anything. You know, there's one guy who came, he got a revelation of the so-called grace thing which in his mind was you don't have to do anything. Well, of course you don't. You. How can you be so dumb and still breathe? You don't have to do anything to get saved. All you bring to salvation is the sin from which you need to be, to be forgiven. That's the only filthy little contribution you make, dear. And so he got up and he said, well, you know what? I want you to give financially this month as Jesus wants you to give. Do you know that Jesus had a lot of fun that month? Jesus felt that they shouldn't give, they shouldn't give as much as normal and they gave half. Jesus nearly put the lights out. It's a joke, by the way. <laughs> no, they gave the way their greedy little hearts wanted to give, and they called that grace. You've got to wind up people to get volunteers, and you've got you to plead and beg and do all kinds of women jumping out of cakes to interest them. It was a big cake for some of these people. 
All right? No, 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 no. Grace doesn't mean you can just, you know, I don't have to do anything. No, you do have to do stuff. Once you're born again, you've got to do some stuff. There's stuff to be done, and we need to do it now, not yesterday. So grace doesn't mean you can live sloppily. I had a friend who's youth pastor, got hold of, a, a, it's not even a grace teaching, it's a hybrid, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. And, and, uh, and he, he, he phoned his pastor and said, I'm about to sleep with my girlfriend, the youth pastor. I'm about to sleep with her because I'm, I'm under grace. No, 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 that's not under grace, that's just being stupid. He's not saying that you confessed, Norm confessed today, received Jesus, and so that's all done tomorrow, Norm is an angel. Norm's not, Norm hasn't watched that TV program where the Irish girl stands under the light and says, I'm an angel. Touched by an angel? No, no, no. Let's see what he is saying. This is what he's saying. He's saying, my goal for you is holiness, not weirdness. You can be, you can be holy without being weird. All right? That is doable. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Even the people from Port, where is it? Know how to, know how to uh, read that thing. I write to you, my little children. In other words, I'm an old 90-year-old bullet. I'm about to die. Come on, kids. Come on now. I want the best for your life. I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. What is he saying? He's saying, I have a preferred future of holiness for you. He's saying weakness and paralysis and failure doesn't have to be the goal of your faith. That's what he's saying. He's saying that sin, unrepented of, that you don't repent of, is the reason for broken fellowship with God. Imagine being married. We've been married 26 years, Jan and I. She doesn't get a medal. She has several, continuously. Imagine saying to Jan, you know, uh, I told you I loved you, you know, 100 years ago, and I've never said sorry since then. She's not going to really like that. Girls like it when you say sorry. If you don't mean it, they're going to suss it out, so just maybe mean it, you know. Get an onion. Go to the bottom shed and get an onion and, you know, rub it in your eyes and... Come back and there are ways of doing this. We can help you with that at, at Real Bloke. And that's the real men. That's what we do in our men's program. You know? <laughs> Beer, bloke, boxing, and bulldust. We can do that for you, all right? <laughs> but he is saying that, that, that sin is a big deal. He's saying, don't be in denial. Don't, don't deny it. Don't, don't ostrich it. God doesn't deny it, and we shouldn't either. You know, French mathematician and philosopher, Blaise. Pascal, he said this, certainly nothing offends us so rudely as this doctrine of original sin, that you were born with sin. Yet without this mystery of original sin, which is the most incomprehensible of all mysteries, we are incomprehensible to ourselves. Do you get that? If you understand that you were born with original sin, being human, when your dad's sperm and your mother's egg met together in the back of that Chevy and produced you, God gave you life, but guess what? Through your parents' genetics from the Garden of Eden comes sin. And so you don't have to teach your little beautiful one-year-old Jude looks like mom. Thank God for that. You don't have to teach them how to sin. They just know it. Take that fork out your sister's ear. Where did he learn that? He learned that from Adam. Not that Adam put a fork in Eve's ear, but you get the, best, get the message. One of my friends says, it's encouraging that God is realistic about our continuing sinfulness. We don't have to pretend to be other than what we are. God knows the worst about us, but still accepts us. 
My old friend Artie Kendall, I think he's been to Adelaide. Artie Kendall's a famous old American uh, preacher who lived in London for many years preaching there. And he said, if you know me the way I know me, you will not listen to me when I preach. Just like that. He's 75. And that's the truth. That no one knows you like you. But something more important than that, someone knows you more than you know yourself, and that's God himself. So verse 10 says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We're, we're being ostriches. We put our head in the soil, but more than that, we're not only in denial, we're actually making God a liar. This is very unhelpful. God has no illusions about me. God knows me, and he loves me. The more I walk with God, the more I realize just how sinful I am and just how gracious He is. Michael Eaton said, the need, we need the blood of Jesus every day, which was my point this morning, wasn't it? You're not just born again historically, only. Salvation is not just entry to heaven. Salvation, God is working the gospel in me and through me and transforming me with ever-increasing um, change into the knowledge, into the likeness of Jesus. He says there will never come a day or come a time when we can stand in our own righteousness. There will never be a day when we can feel that we have arrived at total sinlessness until the day we see Jesus as he is. See, if your faith is, is fear-based repentance, then you won't learn to hate sin for itself. Because it all will be about how to avoid being rebuked or how to avoid being caught and you'll be all undercover. But when you actually understand that, rep- that, God, that love-based repentance, when we come to God out of love, we realize as, we express, as He expresses His love to us that the costly sacrifice of Jesus is so convicting that it makes us hate sin. If you want to pray a prayer around your sin, you should actually pray, God, help me to have a revelation of what it costs Jesus so that I will hate you as much as you hate, I will, sorry, I will hate sin as much as you hate sin, right? Did you get that? Should I say that again? <laughs> that I would hate sin as much as God hates sin. See, fear-based repentance makes me hate myself. But joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. So what should we do, you're asking, number one? Glad you asked that question. Number one, well, why don't you just admit you're a sinner in constant need and continuous need of a Savior, Okay. And so Philip Bliss, what a name. In 1875, he wrote this old hymn, some of you might remember from your old days. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to acclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless lamb, of God was he. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a savior. And when he comes our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew the song we'll sing. Hallelujah. What a savior. You are in constant need of a savior. The Bible calls Jesus the advocate. He is your advocate. He is your savior. An advocate is one who is an expert in the law and who stands in your position, in your place. 
And we only need an advocate when we are accused. Let's just say you're, you're, a, you're a guitarist and you like to crash your car. And so you crash your car into somebody and they want to take you to court and they want to sue you. Let's just say that happens. You'll need an advocate. Maybe you need an eye test or a designated driver, but you'll need an advocate. And we need an advocate only in the, in the following conditions. Firstly, when our sin accuses us. The old hymn writer S.W. Gandhi in 19th century wrote this, What though the accuser roar of ills that I have done, I know them well and thousands more, Jehovah findeth none. Isn't that amazing? Secondly, you need an advocate when Satan accuses you. He's called the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12, 10. says, and I heard a voice, a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before God. Satan accuses you. He does. And you sin and you repent. And he comes and says, you haven't really repented. God hasn't forgiven you. God's going to embarrass you. God's law accuses you, thirdly. That's why Peter says, we have an advocate with God, Christ the righteous. It doesn't say Christ the merciful. That's so important. We have an advocate with Christ the righteous, not the merciful. He is merciful, but he's righteous. Why is that important? Well, because when, when the Holy Spirit um, inspired Peter to write the word righteous, he's actually saying that Christ fulfilled all the righteous demands of the law. On your behalf. And so the plea now today is not, are you guilty or are you not guilty? Christ bore all your sin in his body on the cross. It was so hideous. Your sin was so gross and so ugly that the father turned his face away from the son. He couldn't look on sin. And Jesus, in the agony of, of this incredible moment he'd never experienced in his life, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, all your sin, all the horrible things we'd ever done was placed on Jesus Christ, who bore our sin. And he was pronounced guilty on our behalf so that we can go free. And so our, our text says, if any man sin, we have an advocate and the idea there is that it's all done. The sin is settled. There's no debating here. And when the devil comes to accuse you, and if you debate with him, you're an idiot. Refer him to Jesus. Refer him to the blood of, of Christ. Refer him to God who has accepted the, the, the penalty paid by Jesus. It's wonderful. Come on, get Pentecostal on me. Isn't that wonderful? But most people can't deal with their consciences. Most of us struggle with that, if we're honest. Most of us have a voice nailing us in the back of our head. But I've done something wrong. But God has not just forgiven us. We get more than forgiveness. We actually get justice through Jesus on the cross. This is absolutely incredible. You need an advocate when there's an accusation against you. If there's no accusation, you don't need an advocate. You need an advocate if there's a pending question which implicates you. You need Jesus 
to do what He can do and what you cannot do. And so when you feel hopeless, and so one of the things that that, um, Tony could have added there in the prayer, people struggling with difficulties, we could have said people struggling with sin. Because if you're a human being, this is a struggle I'm going to tell you, you have until you die. You know, I love the altar call, but I think we overinvest in this magical moment in this little piece of real estate. I think we're overinvesting in that as though miraculously, get the guru, lay the hands on me. Let her pray, and, and abracadabra, it's going to go. You know it might, because God is kind. But you know that sometimes God will allow the thing to come back to test us? Yeah. And that horrifies you if you've been brought up on a, on a doctrine of the prosperity gospel, which is when you come to Christ, Norm, nothing will happen to you. Nothing bad will happen to you. Your cash flow will always flow like a mighty river. Down the drain. <laughs> no. Sometimes God will put a drain there just for you. I'm a tither and my car broke down. Do you know that in our town, there was a time when I thought that I, my contribution to the town was to provide a, a service to attract every single nail or screw on our roads into my tires on behalf of the, the, the population. And you know, I'm a tither. They promised you, if you tithe, your, your hot water, uh, what do we call it, a geezer, what do you call it, hot water, yeah, um, that thing wouldn't blow because you tithe in Jesus' name. And you get home and the house is full of water. Oh man, I tithe. Tithing doesn't work. Rubbish. Our, our theology is really hopeless. The fact that there's an advocate means that God is compassionate towards you. Your circumstance is not altogether hopeless. Jesus is interceding on the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Man, it's incredible. The odds of you actually making it through are massive. I'm just a worm. I'm alone. Nobody loves me. Well, you horrible, rotten goat. You stop talking rubbish. God is for you. I'm just talking to myself. Don't just worry about it. God is for you, not against you. And he is an advocate. He set it up. Come on, admit that you need you're in constant need of a savior. It's much better, much easier to live with than to ostrich yourself and say, I never have a bad day. That's just not true. Second thing is, we need to admit that Christ the substitute is sufficient to deal with our sin. And that's the great word propitiation that I gave you earlier. It's the removal of God's wrath by providing a substitute, a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. Tim Keller said, I'm more sinful than I ever could dare to admit. It's a man with thousands in his church. That's a bit freeing, isn't it? I'm more, I'm more sinful than I could ever dare to admit, but at the same time, because of my substitute Jesus, I'm more forgiven and loved and accepted than I ever dare to dream. Come on now. Christ is your substitute. It's sufficient to deal with your sin. You know, I, I'm not an old fart who wants to sing old songs, but I'm telling you, a lot of the modern stuff is a lot of hogwash. It's got no content. I always tease musicians. Some of them sound like this. Ain't he nice? I've loved him twice. Ooh, you are. With a lovely bridge. Yes, he's nice. He's very, your flippin' mother's nice. Come on. He's not nice. 
And sometimes we've got to go back into the old days to find some language. We've got to, we've got to speak up. We've got to speak big. We've got to get some users to write some big words about a big God. Not he's nice. Your mother is nice. And so some of the old guys, they said it well, man. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in half, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well with my soul. We need that. Why do we need that? Because this generation, we're not convinced. Many of us, the young people, grown up, and some of you old people, grown up in homes where your parents aren't together, where marriage vows mean nothing. We've got to get lawyers to sort out our deals in case they go sour. We're not good at commitment. We're not good at going the whole nine yards. Churches duplicate and, replic- and just change their, their, their fish tanks and people aren't, aren't committed to local churches for a long time because my season is up for me to go somewhere else. We don't understand commitment. And in that insecurity, we bring all that stuff to our theology. And that's why you've got to be a woman and a man of the word. Because your, your feelings are completely unreliable. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in half, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. You know, maybe our, our worship would be more animated. Maybe our, our singing would be more heartfelt. Maybe we'd make, we wouldn't have to fight with the rocks, to, you know, be upstaged by the rocks crying out. Maybe if we had a theology that was deep enough to show us just how hot hell was, just how hard the cross was, just how much love the Father shed uh, uh, through the blood of Jesus on the cross, and then maybe if we understood this, this advocacy of Jesus, we might sing a little differently. I don't know. Maybe I'm just imagining that. <clears throat> and so my third point is we need to accept his advocacy in our life. Don't you like Jesus up there? We would accept his advocacy. 1 John 1 says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with Jesus Christ the righteous. He's a backer. He's a promoter. That's what an advocate is. He's a believer. He's an activist. He's a campaigner. The opposite of advocate is opponent. But the advocate is for you. The advocate's in your corner. When you're punching, getting punch drunk by the other bloke with a longer reach at, at blokes, um, beer and whatever else you're having there. I'm careful, I don't want to get the wrong bee there. <laughs> you never know what could happen. No, 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 come. We know, we know what's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Come. But I'm saying if I keep running on bees, you won't know what's going to happen. But these are experts. Experts present the case. This is someone who has an official relationship with you. This is someone who knows your deal. He knows, he knows what needs to be done to, to achieve the, the desired end. If your advocate loses, you lose. If your advocate's rubbish, well, cheerio. You're going to pay through the nose. But if you've got a good advocate, and that's why, we, why advocates get so rich, if you've got a good one, then he's going to get you off, isn't he? And Jesus is the best advocate because he knows the Father and he knows us. And he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life on the earth. He knows what it's like to be human. He had to come to understand what it's like to deal with sin, deal with the flesh, deal with the devil, and what it means to be human, and the horrific limitations of what it means to be human. He had to experience that so that he could be our advocate. He could stand 
on our behalf with the Father. I love that. I love that. The advocate promotes you. The advocate believes in you. The advocate stands in your place. And the judge doesn't deal with you. The judge deals with the advocate. The advocate is is the person who's heard. You're not heard. You're not regarded, necessarily. You didn't win because you were a great witness. No, you won because your advocate was good and you paid great bucks to get him. It's the advocate, not you. And you know, we might find our Christian walk a little bit more exciting if we stop thinking about ourselves and realizing we've got an advocate with the Father and he's an expert and he's really good. Let him do his work in your life. Let him act on your behalf. And so in, in 1 John 2, uh, 1, it says, but if anyone does sin, it's possible, that's what he's saying, preferably not. If you do sin, now, now what, what do you think sin is? There's a great book called... Um, um, what's it called, Steph? It's called Respectable Sins. Thank you for that. You gave it to me. I got it in the waves. By Jerry Bridges. A great book. Because some of you are thinking, well, I'm not in adultery. Well, good. If you are, stop it. <laughs> well, I haven't murdered anybody. Well, I don't know what to say about that, but it's, you know, hard. I haven't, you know, I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't defrauded my company of, you know, 20 million Aussie dollars. So, so you know, but there are all kinds of other sins. Sins of intolerance, yeah. sins of impatience. How many of you have been impatient in your life? Yeah. I used to be, then I, then I got healed of that in the prayer line. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came back the following week, said, pray for me again. They said, no, not you again. We can't keep praying for you. We all have some kind of sin. Jesus said, it is written, man should not commit adultery. But I now say, if you think about it, it's equal to the act. Okay. Not that you must choose, but don't do the act. The consequences are horrible. All right? But we can't have pornographic movies running in our head and think that God's not, God doesn't mind that. And so my sins are more subtle, aren't they? Envy and, and dissatisfaction. Dissatisfied with God and sins of comparison and sins of inferiority that, that hang on me. So he says, if you do sin, we have an advocate. There's a way of escape. Jesus, our supporter, our backer, our believer in us, our activist, our campaigner, our sponsor, and the Holy Spirit uses his full name. He says, Jesus Christ, the righteous, in that passage. We have an advocate, Jesus, who was so human, he knows what it's like. That's why he was Jesus, the Son of Man. Born of a virgin. He was hungry. He was tired. He, he, got, he got sad. He wept. He slept. He ate. He went to the bathroom. That's Jesus. The Jesus part. But it's Jesus Christ. And Christ is, the, is the, the word for Messiah. He's the powerful one. He's the Revelation 19. The, the Lord of hosts on, on the white stallion with a sword coming out of his mouth and a tattoo on his leg that no one else knows because he wants one and he can and that's the only reason why there is on his leg and no one knows what it is. He's ruling and reigning in the cosmos and the universe. That's the Christ, the Messiah. He's the Jesus who identifies with our humanity. He's the Christ who's broken the power of death and the grave and crumpled sin like a little piece of paper. He's the all-powerful one. But he's the righteous one. And God received his act of self-sacrifice 
No one takes my life, Jesus said. I lay it down. And that's not our salvation, not based upon our filthy self-righteousness. Isaiah says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. You know what that is? In the Hebrew, I don't want to be rude, but in the Hebrew, it's, it's, the, it's the cloth that deals with the menstrual cycle. It is no value. Our righteousness, our trying to work our way, and that's what the grace guys are trying to teach us, that you can't earn your, and I agree with that, but there's more after that. Grace for good works. Grace to say no to ungodliness. Grace for service. Okay? And this is not based upon our righteousness, but upon Jesus' righteousness, and that is incredible. I want to ask you tonight, are you really letting Christ be your advocate? Are you really admitting your need for ongoing, the ongoing work of Jesus Christ? Not just when you were born again, but every single day. You young guys struggling with pornography. The temptation to sleep with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Come on, come on. This is the real world. I was young a hundred years ago. There are all kinds, come on you men, there are all kinds of temptations that we face. I have to have protections on my computer. If you don't have protection in your computer and you're going on the net, you're an idiot. I don't trust myself. I've got to think about whether when a woman comes to our house and she wants to counsel and I, I go to the gate because Jan's not home. I go with my Rottweiler and my pit bull and say, hello, sister. <laughs> and we, pre, we speak through the gates and I pray in Jesus' name. That's why John Wimber taught us how to just lift your hand in the direction. <laughs> through the gate. No, I've got to think about these things. I've got to think about, no, no, no. We've got to, we've got to use our brains. Yeah. We're not just the men, the women. Yeah. But you know, it's not often those sins. It's the other sins, sins of, sins of disrespect. I travel far and wide. You know, I'm grieved at, at the level of disrespect for the body of Christ by the body of Christ. Sins of low commitment, selective involvement, when I feel like it. No, 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 Come. Come, we need an advocate with the Father. Let Him be your advocate. It's the most wonderful thing. And when I sin, my personality tends to a little bit of self-flagellation. I have to learn. We have to learn how to receive forgiveness. You're not bulletproof. None of these leaders here are bulletproof. Not one of these have a Chernobyl anointing. They don't glow in the dark. They don't glow in the dark. They're real people. With real challenges, real temptations. You know, I get so chipped when a pastor falls morally and everyone else gets all irritated and everybody else gets self-righteous. Well, it's maybe because Christians have created this parallel universe where the leaders are perfect and the leaders are not human. They say from the waist up, maybe. They don't have sexual temptations. And then we go, oh no, another one's bit the dust. This should be a song. Another one bites the dust. Another one's down. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, hang on. No, let's be real about our stuff. And we've got to find a safe place as leaders to talk about some of these things. You should pray for your leaders. The other day, we had to, I had to preach on Jesus talking to the, to the, to the Pharisees and said, um, don't, do, don't do, what they, do what they say, don't do what they do. And I felt, oh, man, I've got to preach this thing. Pray for your preachers. Every week, we've got to struggle with our consciences. Every week, we've got to get, I mean, there are times when I don't dr- drive to, to church with my wife. Because you might have a fight. And she's slower. 
I'm going to get down. I'm going to go to my wife and worship. Oh, sorry, babe. And uh, kiss, 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 make up, make up, because I'm going to preach. I mean, it's easy for you. You just come and no one even knows. You sit there and you, you know, I had a fight with the old girl today, but she's just an old goat and an old cow. And may God, may God convict her today in Jesus' name. That's you, eh, Bruce? Yeah, that's what you like. No, no, no. We've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with, deal with the stuff sitting there. Oh, God, help me. By the time we walk up here, we've got to glow in the dark like Christmas tree. It's not easy being a pastor, is it? Let's stand together. God is good. God is faithful. God is kind. You know, there's no sin that you've done. If you're not a Christ follower, there's no sin that you've done that disqualifies you. Sometimes the worse, the better. God is reaching into the corners of the world, into the dark corners. He's good in the dark. He brings his light and the dark will, dark, darkness must flee. He's for you, not against you. Even if you're a Satanist tonight, you were taught, weren't you, in your, in your Satan's coven, that God will never receive you. And that's why Satanists never get saved, because they, they're tormented by the devil and they're terrified of God. But God receives us where we are, where we're at. I love that about God. He's so kind. He's so good. He's so unlike you. He's so unlike me. He's so merciful. He's so patient. Aren't you glad I'm not God? Absolutely. And I'm glad you're not God because you would have squashed me like a bee on a windscreen, wouldn't you? But God is kind and God is merciful and He's here tonight. And some of you need to be born again. You must be born again. You must repent of your sin. It's not clever to say I'm agnostic. How stupid can you be? There's nothing intellectually satisfying about saying I'm an atheist. That's so arrogant. It's so, it's so stupid. It's just a stupid thing to say. And I think and then Christians are so, when you run into an atheist, says, oh, I'm an atheist, you go, oh no, Tony, where are you? Let me find you. No, no, it's a stupid position. You need God. You know that. You don't need anyone to tell you how sinful you are. You need God. So there's a group of people tonight that need to be born again. You must be born again now, today, here. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You must be converted. You must have a new start. You must turn around. Repent in the, in, in the Greek metanoia. Turn around, new direction. And begin to walk this thing out. That's why church is important. That's why we said this morning. So you've got to go to church. Be in a connect group. You've got to get to the men's thing. Get to the significant chicks thing. Women's thing. Come on, you've got to get to your Bible every day. You've got to pray. You've got to, why? Because you've got to learn how to follow Jesus. So I'm hoping there tonight some folk who will respond like folk did this morning. Anyone here this evening that says, I need to be born again? Just lift your hand up for me right now. Just be bold. Anybody like that? You need to be born again. Is anybody like that? You want to come to repentance? You want to receive Jesus? Anybody here? Anybody? Anybody like that? Anybody? But I want us to tonight, we're not going to do an altar call. We're not going to do that because that's what you're probably expecting. But I want you where you are, just to pray one prayer. I want to ask God to give us confidence in the advocacy of Jesus. I want, to, I want us confident. I want a church that's confident about their salvation. I don't want a church that's got like a daisy. He loves me, he loves me not. I had a bad thought, he loves me not. I didn't have a quiet time. He loves me not. Sometimes you don't have a bad thought. Sometimes you have a disgusting thought. Don't you? And, some, and you have to admit that. And you know, when you had that thought, he still loves you. He doesn't want you to live there. 
and we've got to grow out of that and, and, and become more and more like Jesus. We can do that. But I don't, I don't go for this theology that says, oh, I had a bad day. I might not be saved. No, we don't need to get born again again. You don't need to, be, you don't need to come to Christ again. But we do need ongoingly. Say, oh God, help me with this thing. I, I repent of this. I want to be more like Jesus. Help me with this thing. Help me. And God will do that in our lives. Let's pray that prayer. God will give us assurance. If you want to agree with me, lift your hands. Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. We thank you that your word is sure in a very changing and insecure world. Lord, there's nothing in us that recommends us to your grace and your kindness. Nothing we have to bring. Nothing in our hands. We just come and, as the song says, simply to your cross we cling. Thank you so much for this love that drove Jesus to the cross. This love that, that, that made him lay his life down. Romans didn't kill him. Pharisees didn't kill him. Judas didn't kill him. Father, you killed Jesus. Jesus laid his life down that we might be free. Thank you so much for saving blood tonight. Thank you so much for kindness and grace that follows us every day of our lives. Lord, I'm praying for us here in this room, and those who are not here but who are part of our Victory family, I pray, Lord, that you'd make us a secure people like never before, that we would know, that we would know, that we would know that our sins have been placed behind us, that, Lord, you've placed our sin as far as the east is from the west. You've rubbed out our sins. You do not keep a record of wrongs. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose iniquities are not remembered. Thank you so much that you've washed away our sins and you are washing them away. And so we want to be a, a repentant people. We want short accounts with our friends, our families. We want short accounts with you, Lord God. Give us honesty. Give us grace. Give us wisdom. Give us power to repent, we pray. Thank you so much for the cleansing fountain of repentance. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes us daily. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we can start again. We can have a new beginning every day. Because you said those mercies are inexhaustible. They're new every day. They're sufficient for today and tomorrow. There'll be more grace and more mercy. We don't want to take you for granted. We don't want to presume on that grace. And so we want to live carefully and we want to live lives that bring you honor and are worthy of the calling. Thank you so much for your patience with us. And Lord, as we, as we leave this place tonight, may we not be Christians who like the lepers got healed and didn't return to give thanks. May we give thanks to you daily. And may we also be like those lepers in the Old Testament who had left this besieged city, saw that the enemy had gone and came back and told the others the good news. Lord, I pray that grace would drive our evangelistic heart, not legalism. Gratefulness would get us to bring our, our boys to, our friends to bloke night and our girlfriends to significant woman. It would be grace and mercy and a relief that the wrath of God has been satisfied in Jesus that gets us to bring our buddies to church, that makes us go the other mile, to give the cup of water in Jesus' name, deliver us from religion, from self-righteousness, from works, trying to earn your salvation, our salvation. Thank you so much for grace. Thank you so much for Jesus, our advocate.
This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.